0: You're listening to Music Tectonics.
1: Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm Dimitri Vitsa. I am the founder and CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors. And who are you?
0: I am Trister neuer Jaeger. the Chief Strategy Officer at Rock, Paper, Scissors, and I'm kind of surprised you don't know who I am.
1: <laughs> I know who you are. I was just <laughs> letting you just know who you are. It's uh, It's been a while since we've been on the podcast together. And
0: it's yeah, fun.
1: this is great. We get to work together and then when we get to be on the podcast. It's kind of like playing. I know it's it's probably work for you, but for me, it's... Just- no,
0: it's fun. This is This is some of the fun part of the job.
1: And we are just back from the Music Tectonics Conference, another fun part of the job. We were in Santa Monica, California. You've heard all about it, regular listeners. But hey, maybe there's one new listener today, and we now need to tell them we do a conference every year in sunny California. On the beach, we had an awesome venue. People freaked out about the amazing uh, beach house where we held the event. There was business happening there. It's not like it was just a big party, although we did have two or three parties. Yeah, we had three, at least three parties. Um, But we thought it would be fun if Tristra and I uh, just talk a little bit about our experience at Music Tectonics. It's not going to be the same experience as everyone else that was there because we were – We were running sessions and running around and and having clients there and all that kind of stuff, too. But um, it was great. We started off at the carousel at Santa Monica Pier, as we always do with our music tech carnival. And I have to say, Trisha, I think this year reached another level. There were more people there. I think people Mm -hmm. got what we were there to do.
0: Yeah, it was, the the vibe was really great and everyone was trying to talk to everyone else. So it was nice. It wasn't just like clusters of people who already knew each other hanging out and enjoying the, you know, the the afternoon together. Everyone was going around and very purposefully introducing them, themselves and trying to find out who was there and meet new people. So That's it was really a very important. warm and welcoming uh, yeah, environment.
1: I think you nailed it because I noticed some different energy there and I thought it was just more people showed up to the first day this time. I think because we sort of went from being a one-day conference to saying, you know what, let's give you a little bit more on the day on the front and a little bit more on the day in the back. And now it really feels like it's a three-day conference. And I think last year, those who came to the carousel realized, no, this is the deal. This is the meat, you know, like come, come here. So it's kind of our startup day. We have a lot of demos from startups. All the people who competed in the Swimming with Narwhals competition, our music tech startup competition, plus our trade delegations from Korea and Norway, plus the finalists from the startup competition, and a few others that were just like, wait, that's too cool. I need to be there for this stuff.
0: We had a little AI alley, too.
1: We did. Yeah, this is the first time we did that, where we had us uh, a theme during the demos of some of the companies that are doing really cool stuff in AO. Uh, sorry, in AI. Um, <laughs> Companies like Doki and Decibel and Infinite Album and Melodia, um, which was super cool.
0: And um, and we had the big fluffy chairs. And yeah. The sound we, chairs. We Sorry, this is spatial. for those of you who weren't there. There are these giant egg-shaped chairs that are all fur-lined on the inside. Washable. They told me, I was like, I'm a mom. This is frightening to me. They're like, don't worry, you can take it all out and wash it. But these very, so very cozy chairs and they have these sort of surround sound experiences that were very, very fun.
1: Solo Dome, they were called. Solo they They were one of our immersive experiences as well. But I I think you're right. And it wasn't just that more people showed up for the opening carousel party, uh, the Quack Media Group uh, opening party and the demos, but they were doing something different. They really did. There did seem like there was an energy where people were like, "Okay, this is our icebreaker to meet everybody. Let's go and meet everybody. So there was a lot of purpose, which was pretty awesome. Good
0: point. I'm going to embarrass you a little bit, Dimitri, Uh, but I kind of think the founders and organizers of an event set the tone. And this is definitely you. Um, yeah. this, is, this is your vibe. This is your approach. If you've ever encountered Dimitri at a conference, you're so great about going up and walking up to people you don't know and not really thinking like, what can this person do for me? But just like, who is this person? What do they do? And so that kind of spirit of curiosity and friendliness has, I think, seeped into the entire event, um, if I can be so bold, which is great for someone like me who doesn't like to walk up to strangers, even though I really want to know what, they, what they're doing and who they are and what kind of crazy music tech stuff they're up to. I'm not embarrassed about that. I'm proud. He's of blushing. That. If you could see him, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, you see he's blushing. My pants are blushing. Um, <laughs>
1: that's kind of weird. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, um, so now he's anyway, blushing. So that was super fun. Um, yes. Then our kind of our major big day is the next day, which was at the the beach house, um, also in Santa Monica, but literally on a beach with a pool and cool event spaces with windows, with views of the beach and so forth. And that's where we had about 18 or 19 different sessions, all sorts of topics. Were there any themes when, when we talk about the sessions or any anything that stood out for you? And again, I, I think we have a slanted view of having worked the, the conference as opposed to yeah. just ended it. But what were, you, what were some things that you walked away with?
0: Well, I really, I was expecting to come away thinking much more about things like AI Uh, newer formats for music or new spaces that music's appearing. And what I walked away with that was kind of interesting was more about sort of models of the way we listen to music right now. So a lot of talk about streaming, about streaming fraud, basically about how the sausage is made. Hmm. And I think we've gotten past this phase of being so relieved that there was a format that finally saved this, you know, um, huge downturn in the music business and in artist royalties um, and gotten to a point where we're like, wait a second, how exactly do we want to move forward? What exactly is going on here underneath the hood? What do we need to be thinking about? Could we build this better? So I was on a panel with um Andrew Beatty and um Adam Rabinowitz and Mike Polczynski, and they've all been thinking very hard about fraud and artist models and how to, how to can we read, can we design a better Backend for the music business that isn't so easy to game, um, and the answer is was was a little bit disappointing in that it's kind of like kind of maybe, um, but the the fight is pretty much constant to keep ahead of some of these extremely sophisticated players who are using streaming as a way to often to launder money. But that said, it was really interesting to hear about all the data that you can use to understand people's habits, like everything from phone position to listening time to, you know, all the things we'd expect. So it was, I found that really, really interesting. And so that was a very thoughtful discussion. So Andrew Beatty's from
1: BeatDap. Adam Rabinovitz is from Boomi, the AI creation platform. And Michael Pelschinski was recently um, VP of strategy at SoundCloud and has his own consultancy. So they were, and that session was called the billion dollar problem emerging solutions to the music industry's streaming fraud conundrum. So what else, what else kind of gave you the sense that, um, we're solving like current models, uh, challenges. Was there, were there other sessions like that too?
0: Well, I, I'm, you know, I'm kind of biased cause I moderated two sessions. So they're the ones that are most on my mind, but, um, you attended
1: the entire session.
0: I, I did. <laughs> I was paying close attention. I was not messing around on my phone, <laughs> not trying to talk to the person next to me. Um, in, in the, the other session that really, um, stuck with me was Dave Bogan of the MLC and Brittany Foreman, who is a brilliant data thinker. Um, and they were both really passionate. You know, you think about metadata, you're like, oh, a panel about metadata. Oh, my God. But it wasn't like that at all. And both of them are, you know, beyond being extremely smart, they really care. And so they were really part of uh, of a theme that I heard throughout the conference of, what? How do we give it back to the artists? Like, how do we how do we give artists more control? Whether it is direct to fan sales, whether it is they should own their data and it shouldn't be behind any firewall, um, which is something Day spoke really, really passionately and eloquently about. And I left just thinking about, you know, how uh, there's all these folks in the industry that are really fighting hard to give artists back a lot more control and uh, autonomy um you know the independent artist world has been increasing um revenues flowing to artists who aren't on a label or who are self-managed has been increasing year over year i mean you can if you if you're curious about this go look at mark mulligan's amazing research in media they have a ton of information about this but what um what i was really hearing this year is we have to make sure artists are really the center of everything. Um, I think we thought a lot about in terms of platforms. Um, obviously, there's always going to be labels and there's a role for them, but this this passionate commitment to, and and not just, I hate using the phrase empowering artists because it's become a cliche and it means nothing anymore, but really giving, putting everything back into the artist basket so that they can make decisions about how to make their music reach whatever audiences they want to reach and then to, to collect whatever, um, you know, uh, whatever revenue or, or royalties flow from that relationship. Um, so it was, it was really exciting. I mean, I I almost expected people to kind of jump up out of their chairs and pump their fists in the air and go like run to the barricades for the artists. But, um, it was really, really wonderful to feel that energy.
1: It does take a special person to, to take something like data and turn it into a call for action. But I think the issue is music is in such dispersed, dispersed, disparate, uh fragmented places in 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 internet land or streaming and app land that you don't really know what's going on it's in so many different places very hard to understand what's moving the needle or and the other thing is for most independent artists the the signal's very weak like to Mm -hmm. even see enough of a signal that something good is happening that you might want to do more of something like, you know, like, Oh, my social media posts led to more streams or my advertising campaign did this, or my live shows did this online or my live streams or my YouTubes or whatever it is. Um, the signals are so weak. And, and then if you don't have the data at all, you can't really get a read on what should I do more of, or what should I try differently or what worked for this other artist? So Mm -hmm. I think the connection here is, it's not really about data it's about getting enough information so that you can find the insights to figure out how to navigate a career as an independent artist in all these places
0: yeah and getting enough data so that you can actually get paid and like connect all the plug in all the all the wires that will get you paid and and that is That's not easy to do when you're just a person by yourself. It's it's crazy how complicated all of this is, even for, and music is relatively straightforward when it comes to distribution, et cetera, compared to some other art forms. But
1: were there specific forms of data or types of data that Day and Brittany talked about on the untangling music data for the benefit of all, or was it more top level?
0: Well, it was, we were specifically talking a lot about these black boxes, um, where they are, why they're there. And um, how what's inside them? And you know, I heard from a different panel, I believe, uh, was was um, Amadea uh, Chopin from PEX mentioned that a great deal of the money in black boxes are you know sixty percent or something along those lines um, comes from hip hop tracks. So. You know, in some ways, the industry has really failed. A, 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 sorry, that's a little harsh, but, you know, has failed a large group of creators who are making very, very popular music, um, but haven't understood how to use the system to get what is rightfully theirs. So that that's a really telling. So in some ways, we were talking about how the role data plays in. um and breaking, you know, shining light into these boxes, breaking them open. And, um, you know, we were, we, were, we were kind of contemplating, could we imagine a better world where a black box didn't exist? And the answer, sadly, is no, because we live in the real world. Um, but the answer is also we can make them way smaller.
1: Yeah. So that 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 session that Amadea was on was illuminating artist deals. I know Peter Harvey from Roy Fi was there. The uh, artist Jay Monty was there. Selena Barrington was there as well. Um, And uh, yeah, Peter helped us co-curate the focus on fairness and artist deals, which was, um, I think it's always a great, great topic. And it's interesting. We've been talking about how it feels like transparency is kind of inevitable. Like the more, Mm -hmm. the more that music is trackable, the more that we're on Technology platforms where data exists over time, and, and you know, PEX is a part of this too. More and more, uh, there's more opportunity to kind of see what is actually happening. And actually, I was at a MLC event here. I just moved as my as those of you who came to Tectonics know, because I mentioned it. I, I've just moved to Portland, Oregon. Uh, a couple of months ago. And and last night, there was an MLC event with the local chapter of the Grammy um, Academy. Um, And uh, I was, as I went around to meet as many people in the room, there were tons of hip hop and R&B folks in the room. But what I realized was a lot of the people in the room collaborate with each other. And I was just thinking about the importance of what the folks at the MLC talk about a lot, which is you got to know who the splits are going to, what the percentages are. You got to know that like earlier because a lot of that a lot of that so-called black box exists not just because the streaming services don't know who to pay, but the people who created the music don't always yeah. know who to pay because there's so many different co-writers, co-producers and all that kind of stuff as well.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of paperwork, so to speak. And that's, that's tough. If that's not really, you're not, you know, you're not in this business necessarily to to administer complicated <laughs> deals and details. Um, it, the story of Jay Monty was pretty noticeable and notable. Is I've heard you mention him, but what, what 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 happened there? Well, he's a really interesting guy. Um, he, you know, he he's a Christian rapper, which is a very interesting market. Um, and he got a major label deal. And then the label, the person who signed him kind of moved on. He got a new, you know, there was a new team at the label that was working with him. And they really just didn't know what to do with his music. So they kind of put him on ice for years and he couldn't release anything and it was extremely frustrating and not to mention impoverishing right um so so jay is is super scrappy and a really smart entrepreneur and started to do other stuff like he started to make clothing and then um eventually he got out of this deal and he used some of those um entrepreneurial smarts to uh, be basically his own manager and put out his own music and he, it was pretty impressive but he he had some really hard times along the way and he's such a uh, kind and um, well-spoken and thoughtful person that you just you know sympathy comes really naturally when you hear a story but you know he even he did he did everything right right he got the major label deal he went through all that and still it was um, he wound up having to do it himself so it was pretty pretty interesting story. Mm,
1: yeah, cool. Glad we had the artist voice there as part of that panel as well. So it's interesting that, I mean, kind of the way that you're talking about your experience at music tectonics is you were sort of expecting to see some shiny new objects and you ended up hearing about some of the nitty gritty. And maybe that's because we put you on panels that are hard for me. To <laughs> you have to put me on of- the
0: metadata panels. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, the, fraud, the fraud and the... <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but 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 um but I, it's so funny because my experience, and maybe this is just the challenge of any conference of getting around to seeing as much mm-hmm. as you can, which you can't, you know, unless you're popping in and out of everything when you're not really absorbing very much, it's hard to get the whole vibe. But I actually had a different experience, which is kind of funny. I mean, the AI thing was very present, you know, obviously mm-hmm. I'm director of the conference and so I have some influence on what content's there, but we had not, at the beginning, pretty late into the process. We had not planned on making AI a central focus. You know, we don't, I don't like to chase like the latest trends. Um, you kind of have to listen to see what's on people's minds. And, mm-hmm. and even regardless of what you program, you end up finding what was on people's minds, regardless of what was on the official panels. And I, as I was reflecting on this year's conference, I was like, so what was the thing? Because, uh, and so I looked back at each year and I realized there kind of was a thing that was on everyone's mind from the beginning. So in 2019, TikTok was on everybody's mind. Um, and I remember that was, the, that was the hallway conversation. And then in 2020, obviously the pandemic hit and live streaming was on everybody's Mm -hmm. mind. And there was this, everyone thought live streaming was here for for good. And then another, an extra 400 live streaming platforms came into existence and many of them disappeared. Um, Yeah. And then the next year, 2021, I would say metaverse was the thing because people went from, oh, well, live streaming is so cool. And, they and you know, the, we saw the emergence of Roblox, but also other, you know, Fortnite and music in Fortnite and things like that were happening as people had a little more bandwidth other than just turn on the camera and start shooting a, a, a home concert or something like that. Yeah. And then I'm 2022, like- last year, was clearly NFTs. I mean, Web3, <laughs> but really NFTs was the topic that, and, and yes. you know, it was one of the topics that people either loved or loved to hate. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, even though not everyone was on board at the conference with it, it was on everybody's mind and it felt very similar to the live streaming and metaverse things where it was like really popping and then really declining quickly. And this year it was definitely AI. I mean, even, even, you know, the hallway conversations were frequently about kind of like, well, what should we do about AI or AI is changing everything in a good way or AI is changing everything in a bad way. And so we obviously had several in the end we had several sessions. I mean we had an AI demo thing where we got to see different companies. Um it was actually a kind of a um a reprise of a session we did in 2019 called AI's got talent. And the point in 2019 was like so where are we with AI? Can a- AI really do these things? And honestly compared to then I mean, that stuff was very rudimentary back mm-hmm. then. And, and what we have this year, um, obviously, is much more complex. So we had Doki and Decibel and Infinite Album and Melodia and Wave AI, Wave AI all do demos, um, which was super cool. And very different use cases, like each one totally different. Um, Wave, AI, Wave AI actually wrote a song on the spot there, including lyrics. Um, Amazing. Which was pretty, pretty fun to see. Was the song good? I mean, it was really an artist tool. It wasn't like, hey, you can release this. But what I mean by that is like the lyrical component is pretty cool to see in, in, in action. Mm-hmm. It's fun to, you know, where that where this AI tool is helping you write lyrics. And she showed how it could do um, kind of like uh, genre-specific dialects and lyric writing, which is kind of cool. Oh, that's well.
0: interesting. Yeah, that's you change, super interesting.
1: You start changing the grammar to certain, you know, English dialects, if you could call them that. Um, and huh. it it follows along with you, you know, it starts spitting back lyrics. Um, and then, you know, there was another session on, um, uh, well, music meets AI, navigating a positive future was one. And I feel like there was one other, how, how is AI transforming music? And I guess just to put some meat on this conversation, a lot of what I heard was like a conversation about either or like is AI going to win or are humans going to win? And, um, you know, is this creating a lot of competition and are we going to flood the streaming services with this new kind of AI assisted or AI generated music? And to some extent, you know, obviously we've seen the news with, um, you know, streaming services talking about limiting monetization, uh based on how many tr- how many streams you're getting mm-hmm. like you know under 200 or a thousand whatever number it is you're not even going to be able to monetize at all but the thing that i kept going back to and i said it in a couple of sessions i literally as the as a conference director i would just stand up and be like but wait and i really <laughs> think there's a new category emerging just like hollywood is not dead because of tiktok or youtube You know, people are watching Netflix and Hulu and Disney and HBO as much as ever, I think. It sure seems like it anyway. People sure as hell are talking about it more than they used to. Um, And TikTok and YouTube is just a different category. You know, it's like these short form things are, maybe they're competing for time, but they're not really competing. They're not eliminating a whole other category. Mm -hmm. It feels like the emergence of AI music is creating a new format. Maybe it's a new art Maybe it's a new commercial asset. I don't know, but it's but it's definitely a new format. And I think that's that to me was the, if if I was to walk away with kind of like, where did the conversation go at Music Tectonics? That to me was a big one.
0: One other thing that you and I talked about a bit was how excited we were. Not, I mean, we kind of started out this conversation talking about the carousel and how everyone was very open to meeting new people. But in general, I felt like the industry was opening up a little bit. Like, I, one great example was we have we have a wonderful startup event at UMG every year, a startup boot camp. And this year, I really really appreciated how many UMG folks got on stage. Some from the publishing arm, some from other aspects of the, the the label, getting up there and talking about what makes a difference to them when they're getting pitched. Like what they look for in startups, what they need from startup partners, what they're looking for when they are considering licensing. All these this great information, some of which was really eye-opening for me and really thought-provoking, and they just shared it so openly and so, like, candidly, and it really felt like they were ready to have a conversation, that you didn't have to, like, beg and plead and a- approach them with a pitch, that they're they're open to hearing what you have to say. You just have to make it make sense for them and be useful to them, and that's completely cool.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, just so people understand our third day, we start off at Expert Dojo and do kind of a schmooze, but also a fireside chat with Tatiana Cirasano from Media Research. We should come back to that, Trister, because I Absolutely. think that was also a pivotal conversation that I, that I want to get into. But the UMG thing, they did it last year. This year, they brought us into an actual studio, recording studio across oh, the street. It was so from beautiful. It was sounded amazing and people were excited to be there it was well, appointed and, and super cool. And, um, and we kicked off from an open mic where everybody in the room got to introduce themselves. And it was amazing to see the diversity of people, but also companies that were there and all the different ways in which people are working in music innovation and music tech from from hardware to software, from B2C to to B2B, from VR to trading cards to An actual card game, a physical card game.
0: Yeah, that was really cool to see. um, Card game. Monetization
1: tools, optimization. Also, it was really, really quite a mix. and, and, And definitely, you could see people were vibing with realizing. What an amazing, unique group of people were there. But I agree. UMG, under the leadership of uh, Christina Pimentel and Bill Gagnon from Universal Music Group's Innovation Group, really stepped it up this year with the way that they programmed that by doing exactly what you said. Um, I know Christina had Jay Grannis from um, Universal Music Publishing Group up there, and yeah. I felt like he was dropping knowledge that you never hear directly from someone like that. And specifically, mm-hmm. he said... Let's come and talk to us, not when you're ready to license music, but before you build your product so that we can make sure whatever your plan is for your product is even licensable. Sometimes it's not that we don't want to do it. We literally can't, you know, like depending on what you're trying to do, how you're utilizing music or what music you're hoping to utilize, if it requires both the master and the publishing side, there may not be an easy way for anybody to grant that license.
0: Yeah, that was really exciting to hear someone from publishing speaking so openly, frankly, and um, in, in, with such detail about their process and trying to figure all this out. And I, I that was really eye opening and really, really valuable.
1: And the other cool thing about the whole the whole um, uh, UMG structure for their startup boot camp at Music Tectonics was they did actually have they selected four startups to pitch. Uh, and it wasn't like a competition. It wasn't like pitch for a license or anything like that. It was more just like, let's get some direct feedback right here. Mm -hmm. And that was super cool. So we had Karen Allen from infinite album, the adaptive video game music software company, Kevin Daly from remedy, which is a way to monetize, um, premium streams when they're layered on video, <laughs> on, but yeah. on your own video as a label or, or manager or artist or something. Um, and then Kristen Daniel was the one with the music guessing card game, like physical card game called Heard It All Before. But what I was going to say was, so they all pitched for a few UMG folks. And there were a couple of standout things there. I mean, uh, oh, Versus also. Versus, which was just on Music Tectonics as well. You'll hear my interview with Sean Lee um, and Kim from Versus there. But uh, Nils um, uh, Nils Koester, who's a senior director of digital strategy at UMG, uh, pointed out, like when Versus was pitching that. If a virtual artist fan experience can't scale quickly and affordably, it's Mm -hmm. it's it's pretty much going to die before it even becomes a partnership with somebody like UMG or any other label. And so that was a really interesting thing. Luckily, Versus does have plans to create an engine that allows them to create these metaverse music making experiences with the flip of a switch, basically. But that was really great feedback and I know, I think um, Sujata Rao, who is also on that kind of panel of experts, um, who she's a senior director also with Digital Technology Strategy at UMG, um, kind of pointed out like the benefit of not just trying to do stuff with the latest, greatest pop stuff, but look at the catalog too. Mm-hmm. And I know she said that in reference to um, heard It All Before's card game, because there's so many cool things you could do with like historic music and catalogs to get people engaged with that music again too. So, and then I guess just one last great sharing that I had at that UMG experience, Bill Gagnon from the innovation group was basically saying the first step in licensing music with somebody like UMG is to find a trusted and experienced advisor, not necessarily at that label. So, you know, he had tipped to people like Bill Campbell, Dick Wingate, Vicky Nauman. These are people that have experienced successfully licensing with major labels and other labels and publishers. Um, And I thought that was really interesting that you'd have somebody from a label saying, well, there's people out there that will help walk you through all these steps of what you need to know so that by the time you show up at our door, we can tell you've already done the work.
0: Yeah, that was a really interesting piece of advice, though it makes total sense. I I, I would want someone to come to me with a well-articulated business model, with all of their ducks in a row so that I could really evaluate, will this work for us or not? Is it, You know, you're doing yourself a disservice as a startup if you come in and you're just like, well, it's kind of like this thing where you do this thing, you know, but like maybe you play the, the you know, um, which is the way I would probably pitch Bill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, so it, it's it, it was really, really great to get And also some of the pitches were fantastic and they were all different and they were all um, really, really um, educational. So if you are, if you have a startup, if you're thinking of having a startup and it's in music tech or related to music, you should definitely come next year and learn from both the people who are some of the big decision makers, but also from your peers, because they have some of them are a couple years ahead of you and they have some really good moves and and chops and you got to got to check it out.
1: Speaking of startups, we didn't even mention, we had our winners announced. Oh, for that's true. Competition. Oh my
0: gosh. How, how, how silly. How do, we, <laughs> so, how do we forget our narwhals?
1: Right. Our narwhals swimming with narwhals. Um, so we should mention that the winner from the judges choice award was Aux A-U-X, which is a really cool music creation and collaboration, um, platform and is doing some really amazing stuff there. And then we had an audience choice award, which was, uh, which is real count, um, which helps companies on the live side aggregate all the data around ticket sales. So you, it's kind of like what we were talking about with the data stuff earlier mm-hmm. when we were talking about Day and Brittany's um, panel helping artists understand the power of data, how important it is for them to have access to the data. It's the same thing, but on the live side and yeah. saying, hey, come to one place where you can get some transparency on how your concerts are doing. Because sometimes uh, uh, Diana Greenmore, who pitched, uh, one of the co-founders who pitched for Real Count, said, it's it's uh, you, you'll reach out to a promoter for a show and say, so how are ticket sales doing? And you won't get an answer. And one of the reasons you might not get an answer is because ticket sales are zero or very close to yeah. zero.
0: Yeah. So, or they may not know, you know.
1: And as we say at Rock, Paper, Scissors, the second best answer is no. When, <laughs> when, when, uh, you know, when, when pitching a, a journalist for some press coverage, it's similar with ticket sales. Like the second best answer is to know that nothing has been sold because at least then you know where you stand. If you get no answer, if you don't know how you're doing, you can't really take any action on it. So that's mm-hmm. a really interesting one there. Uh, and, and one cool thing that came out of that was we found out actually Tracy Maddox, who was one of the judges um, from downtown music pointed out, he remembered that she, they, she had said they were working on a seed round at our semifinal, which was an online pre-conference in September. But when she stood up on stage just a week ago at Tectonics, she said they had closed their seed round. And he was like, wait, that was really fast. That was like under six weeks. Wow. So they're making they're making progress. There's clearly awesome. a need for what they're doing. So check out AUX, AUX, and Real Count, the winners of the swimming with Narwhal's Music Tech competition. And we kind of glazed over the fireside chat I did with Tatiana Sirisano. I'm curious, were there standout kind of conversations in there for you, Tristra, that, uh, I mean, you know, like, like we both said, when you're on stage, it's hard to absorb it all. But, um, I was asking her questions and trying to get all the answers, but what stood out for you there?
0: Well, I have to say I was busy doing some other things during that time. Um, but Tatiana is always incredibly insightful. One thing that she said that really resonated with me was about the future fluidity of music. That we're not going to be looking at a set recorded track that you play it and every single time you play it, it's going to sound the same. Mm-hmm. We're looking at a future that is interactive, where fan remixes are going to become sort of par for the course, um, where people are going to want to mess around with music. And we're going to have to find some ways to do this that – and it's not even about licensing. I mean we in the business, we often focus on licensing. But like I was just thinking today – Um, FKA Twigs, for instance, a bunch of her music was leaked like demos and rough mixes and things like that. And she's like, forget it. Back to the drawing board. I'm not going to work on those songs anymore. What that says to me is that control is key for artists, right? You don't want your creative, you want to, you want to control your creative process. And if you extend that to fans, you're going to have to think really carefully about what do I want them to have access to and be able to do? And what do I want to keep for myself? Mm -hmm. Um, and there's going to be people who are wide open and just like, go for it. I don't care. Here are the stems, you know, go, go nuts. Um, and there's going to be some people who are like, yeah, I'll let you do this tiny little thing, but I'm not going to let you do anything else. Or I'm not even going to, this isn't a game I want to play. So it's going to be interesting to see how that more fluid musical model is going to impact, um, both what artists do and how fans interact with artists.
1: Kind of on a related note, she also talked about kind of seeing um, music creators start to adopt the model similar to what some athletes and sports celebrities have adopted, where, what is the, what is the, the the cleats or the shoes Mm. or the Jersey that represents an artist that you're actually selling in a sense, you're selling it to uh, aspirational. um, Athletes as well, you know, Uh, that, that musicians may start to come up with, products relevant to music that they can send to, they can sell to fans who are also making music, you know? So what are the cleats of music making f- that, that, a, that a legit artist that has a fan base can sell to their fans to make music as well?
0: Here are all my settings in this one particular, <laughs> it, could be settings, it, could be stems, it could
1: be plugins. Yeah. It could be, it could be physical gear too. Um, yeah. uh, but, but just the idea to think in terms of, And this, you know, I know it's really hard for artists who lived pre-streaming and are still making music and trying to make a living to say, well, the streaming of your music is now kind of a a vibe creation tool. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like you're building community, you're giving people something. It's a freemium thing. Like, yeah, you get paid a little bit for streams, but really what you're doing is you're getting getting into people's brains and then they're becoming – Um, hooked on you, your music, your creativity, your aesthetic, your philosophy, and what else are you going to be able to sell them? Or how else are they going to engage in a way that creates monetary value for you? Which is, it's it's hard. Yeah.
0: Well, it's an interesting time right now because you're right, streaming has become a bit of a loss leader. Mm. Um, And I mean, for individual artists, and what is, but what's the premium product? Like, you're said, if streaming is like the tomatoes at your farm stand, like, where's the super expensive, like, I don't know, shallots and. <laughs> I love this like such question, a question,
1: <laughs> Trisha. Like not this you know? challenge one necessarily, but, but, but the what is the premium project pro, product? That feels like it could be a whole conference of its own, right? Oh,
0: like, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I mean,
1: her whole talk was called, you know, it was basically about the post-streaming era, which Mark Mulligan from MIDI Research kind of laid out during our pre-conference in September. Um, but uh, but I think like that's the next, that's the next level is sort of like, okay, so what does it look like? To create music in a future post streaming model, how do people engage with it, and how do people monetize it? How are people incentivized to create it and do it? Um, but also, I mean, the 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 other piece of it that's that's kind of like on the uh, celebrity artist artist that really builds a massive yeah. following level. The flip side is all the creativity by the masses, like where everyone's making making music, where we finally got AI and other tools and technology that feel like what the iPhone and Instagram did for photography is finally starting to happen for for music.
0: Yeah, it's super exciting. I can't wait to hear what What strange uh, and probably kind of mediocre and bad stuff, but very probably, but very satisfying, right? Like what could be more satisfying than capturing a moment? And, you know, as a singer, I, you know, there are so many moments that I was able to like really, really get into a song and sing it and just be totally present. And I want that experience for everybody. And I think some of this tech could really unlock that for even for people who don't sing or who aren't particularly musically inclined.
1: I have to share one more. I I know we're wrapping up here, but I have to share one more um, kernel I got from Tatiana's fireside chat where she distinguished between um, artist fans and music fans. Not that they're Mm. always separate, but we were talking, I asked her about super fandom because there's certain reports in the media that would make you think that super fandom either has or will save the music industry in some way or grow the music (laughs) industry. And she was saying that in their research at Media, they found there's different types of fans. And so it made me think a little bit about myself and reflect a little bit. I've never been the artist super fan. Like I've never Mm -hmm. been like I have to be in the front row. I have to have the VIP tickets. um, I, you know, I have to wear the clothes. It's not because I don't love the music or even the artists. But it just that's just not like I don't connect my identity around the celebrity side Mm of it. Absolutely. I'm more like on the discovery Mm -hmm. side, I'm more like, Oh, I can't believe how they just tweak that genre or, you -hmm. know, um, something specific about their voice within a genre or within a a field or a scene or a style or, or whatever. And, you know, like you, I mean, you, you probably like a variety of music. I like weirder music, a little more (laughs) esoteric stuff, but.
0: I like anything I connect with emotionally, but uh, it it does tend to be on the weirder side. (laughs) So, so
1: I, I made me think, Oh, well, you know, there is a place for the music fan as opposed to the artist fan. So when yeah. people are like, no, this is the solution. what What is the product? You ask that question. What is the premium product for music? Mm-hmm. It might be different for somebody who's a super fan of an artist versus somebody who leans into like a diversity of discovery or kind of a musical logical or a lyrical or poetic or some other yeah. reason why they're falling in love with things.
0: Absolutely. That's such a great point.
1: Yeah. So anyway... I had a blast. I'm so grateful to Shaylee Ankenbrook, our head Yay. of events; Eleanor Rust, our marketing director; Yay. Allison Hall, our COO, and the whole team from music from Rock Paper Scissors that helped make that happen. You included, Tristra. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. So well, much
0: for- I I didn't screw things up too bad this year, except no, you for didn't. yeah. No, you didn't at all. And in <laughs> fact, um,
1: you helped uh, break the ice. Maybe next year we'll have more of a pool party because you, ju- you were friends. one of two people who jumped in the pool.
0: <laughs> me and the rap and lawyer, Elijah, we're all <laughs> alone. Come on, come on, world, world music peeps. I think, Help me inspired out here next I think year. Everyone
1: just was like, I think I'll bring my bathing suit next year. But I know music tectonics Birdly. will happen again, late October, 2024. We're planning to come back to Santa Monica. We'll get you dates as soon as we can. It was so meaningful to have all of you there. If you're listening and you were at the conference, uh, I mean, you know, the vibe was incredible. Um, Hopefully you met some new besties and connected with some old ones. And those of you who didn't make it, you got to come this time, you know, this next year. Mark it in your calendar as soon as we uh, let you know the dates. You're probably working on budgets for next year. Put the budgets in to come make a splash, um, real or metaphorically, um, and be (laughs) at the Music Tectonics Conference. (laughs) Hey, Trisha, this is always fun. Thanks so much.
0: Oh, I had a blast. Thank you, Dimitri.
1: Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know we do free monthly online events that you, our lovely podcast listeners, can join? Find out more at musictectonics.com. And while you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference and sign up for our newsletter to get updates. Everything we do explores the seismic shifts that shake up music and technology, the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains connect with music tectonics on twitter instagram and linkedin that's my favorite platform connect with me dimitri vitsa if you can spell it we'll be back again next week if not sooner you're listening to music tectonics